0: at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord.
1: Yeah. You may be seated. Thank you, Athena. Welcome as we continue to go through the book of First Peter. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, if life is worth living, should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor. Even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. This is a line from a Tupac Shakur song, I wonder if heaven has a ghetto. Or more popular, some of you know it probably from the song, Changes. This song exemplifies the loss of hope amongst black communities that is endemic in our society today. Of course, this song was written back in 1997 or so. Ghetto nihilism, according to one intellectual, is the lived experience of coping with a life of horrifying meaninglessness, hopelessness, and most important, lovelessness. African Americans are threatened by the lack of hope and the absence of meaning in their lives. And what I have to say is that this is not isolated just to black communities, but in all of our communities, in every one of our experiences, we are experiencing different shades of the loss of hope in our society today. Some might say, sure, Vince, come on. That's only one community. Elsewhere, there's plenty of opportunity, especially if you're able to lift yourself up from your bootstraps. All right, fine. Okay, now let me go to maybe a different off, a different different uh, 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 band, maybe. Let's go with the shins, you know, happy-go-lucky. It's kind of fun, folky, and, you know, hip, okay? They sing, but I learned, I learned fast how to keep my head up because I know I got this side of me that wants to grab the yoke that's from a plane from the pilot and just fly the whole mess into the sea. We're all experiencing different shades Of this nihilism. Even in Christian circles, we wrestle with wondering whether or not this life is worth living at times. Especially in a world that is kind of uh, predicated and rewards the type A personality, the idea that we need to achieve it. We always wonder if it's worth it. Will it last? What hope will any of my work in this world what, is, what hope is there for any of my work in this world? The Christian and the non christian alike has to answer this question. What am I hoping in? What gets me up in the morning? What makes me joyful? If your hope is based on human effort, the author Peter is starting to teach us, then you will always be tempted by nihilism. You will always wonder if you have done enough. You will always suffer and struggle at night when you go to bed and you're feeling imposter syndrome, wondering if you are enough. My guess is that each one of us in some way feel this. And so why do we keep going? Is nihilism right? Is everything hopeless? Or maybe the existential lists are right, right? You know, um, it doesn't matter if it's pointless, they say. We just need to imagine Sisyphus happy. Sisyphus was one who would roll this boulder, was condemned to roll this boulder to the top of the hill, only to see it roll back down again, and to do that over and over for an eternity. But we need to imagine that Sisyphus was happy while he was doing this. And so we likewise need to just find happiness or purpose in whatever we want. On one end, nihilism leaves us with dread. It's dark. It's hopeless. And on the other, it leaves us with, we are, we are left with superficiality, just making up hope as we go. And I think these are problematic, and this is the problem our world is facing now. But Peter is trying to say that in the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have real, living hope. It means this. That many of the most successful, educated, strong-willed people are still having difficulty wondering if all their efforts matter in the end of the day. Deaths of despair are surging. The pandemic increased our loneliness, our anxiety, and exposed our hopeless world. For a while, we Americans were just nihilists with a smile. Now, after the pandemic, we're just nihilists with a Tinder account. For our audience in this text, they're wondering if their journey of faith will pay off in the end. Is it worth going through the suffering that is coming? See, many of us who are Christians will be mocked for our faith. In this time, we'll be made fun of and seen as a threat. We'll be called bigots on Twitter. We'll be known as backwards, backwater people. But the only way that we're going to bear up against that, to live in this world, is not to go back and rely on things like our education, or our riches, or our stuff. No. The only way Peter is telling us to have hope is to hope in the right person. And unfortunately, you and I, when we look in the mirror, are not looking into the eyes of the right person. Jesus Christ is the only right person. It is not the work of our hands, nor in our ability to make our life happen. That gives us the good news, that gives us hope. We will always be pressured to go back into trusting in our own effort. Going back to a way of living synonymous with death. The good news, though, is this, and Peter's telling us. Because my hope does not depend on me, I can have living hope. Imagine if the ultimate hope for your life did depend on you. Imagine if everything in your world depended on you. Starting to sweat? Can you feel how nerve-wracking that is? Imagine the pressure every night. You will go to bed and condemn yourself under six feet of judgments. Part of the good news of Christianity is that your hope is not dependent on you. Why? Because he caused us to be born again, and he guards us. He caused us, and he guards us, the text tells us. He caused us to be born again. God is the basis of our hope, not our effort. If it was our effort, there would be little to hope in, right? Peter starts one sentence sentence from verses 3 to 12, which is telling you what? Okay, which is telling you that the English uh, translators needed to make, help Peter out with his, uh, his grammar, right? No! Rather, this poor fisherman is trying to do and trying to get into us the existential import of what he is trying to say. He opens it up. He cannot help himself. He goes into not just theological and doctrinal content, but no, he is giving us someone to behold and to worship. He is trying to get you out of your seat, to call you to action, to make you believe, not just in the head, to scream and shout in the heart heart. He is waxing eloquent to encourage those whose faith may be waning. He isn't just telling you about living hope. No, he is freestyling it so that you may feel it. Christian life is always this constant turning and tuning back to this truth, and we must hear it over and over again. What Peter is doing, if this was a rap song, is trying to get you to feel the beat. It has dropped, and now he is flowing, and what does he say? Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he will go on for nine more verses proclaiming this, saying that we are passive recipients of his grace. We are passive. And it is according to who? Not my work. Not my effort. Not the toiling and labor of my fingers that I can rest at night. You do not have new life, a new way of being by your work, but rather it is the mercy of God. And when he is talking about mercy here, he is talking about God's promises, his steadfast and forever love, the same love that God calls uh, calls himself to when he is... For fulfilling the promises to Abraham that they would be a nation to bless the rest of the world. This is the steadfast love that God uh, attributes to himself when he says, has said. This is the always forever love that God will be true to his promises. This is what he's holding on to. It is according to God's mercy, not our effort. Ephesians 2, Paul says, but God being rich in, here's that word again, mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace we have been saved and raised us up with him. What is this trying to tell us? is trying to tell us that the day-in, day-out life of the Christian is lived constantly going back to the truth of the gospel, that it is not by our effort, but is living the new life, the resurrection life, resting in his finished work at the cross and his justification in his resurrection, it says. Christian conversion, then, is a new birth in which we are united to the living God. We have a new state of being in the world, in the state of hope. Do you remember those those just terrible days when you were a kid? You'd go to bed at night crying, and you would say the little wish in your head, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I could go back. Do you ever imagine going back and that you could make things right? Or am I only the one weird enough and neurotic to actually think that? Someone is shaking their head that I'm the only one, okay? I will just crawl back into my little hole here. But I will imagine that you do that too. You see, Peter is saying here that in Christ you have been born again. You have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, meaning that your faith links you to Jesus. And as Jesus has been resurrected, as he has been given new life, you have entered into the new life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the deposit of that new life. And there is a new way of being in the world. And the way of being in the world is not predicated on your effort or on your works. Notice what the work and effort of Adam and Eve got them as they were trying to make a life for themselves independent of God. It got them kicked out of paradise and wearing little fig leaves. It is not good. That is not the way it is supposed to be. We are born to be dependent on God, and now we live this life. We are caused to be dependent on him again. Peter says here that in Christ you have been born again. And so, John says to Nicodemus in John 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Dead people don't make themselves born again, so what? It means God must have done it. He goes on to say, That which is born of the flesh gives birth to the flesh. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so what does this mean for you and I? It means that life in Jesus, Jesus who is the resurrection and the life, he says in John eleven twenty five. 25, it means that we have come into a new way of doing things. It means that the old way of doing things, that operation of the world, cannot give you that life. And it only comes by God And so Jesus' resurrection is the living hope in the midst of dying nihilism. Christian hope in life is the one that is in opposition to the ways of performance, achievement, pulling yourself up from your bootstrap, because those things can't actually give you a living hope. They can make you feel better for a time, yes, but they can't secure the ultimate achievement you need. Only the resurrection of Jesus can do that. Therefore, Paul says, no one may boast. Christians... In the midst of being threatened, made fun of, you are to be different. You are not to come back waging the same war that everyone else does. When you are mocked, our faith and our new way of living gives us reason not to give in to that way. So what does this mean? It means that the church does not give in to cancel culture. No, we do not give in to call-out culture, and nor do we need to wage culture wars. We don't need to do those things, because that's what our culture does. That's the way of the world. Those are the underhanded ways. Those are the ways of the old way. That is the dead way. When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the power of God working in us to will and to work for His good pleasure, we reflect God in empathy kindness, love, justice, mercy, loyalty. We don't go tit for tat with everybody else. We witness to the world by love. Peter says they are born again to a new inheritance. It means you can live differently in this world. Why? Because your inheritance, what is owed to you is more precious and better than anything else this world can give you. He says three words. He says, it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Jesus tells us to set our things on the things above where neither moth nor rust destroy. It means this, Christians, you can endure this time because your inheritance, your legacy is one that lasts. And it was not obtained by your effort. It is unstained by evil, unimpaired by time, and untouched by death. It means that what you got in Jesus is better than anything in the world and anything this world can offer you. Jesus is better than romance. Jesus is better than reputation. Jesus is better than riches. Jesus is better than that college degree. Jesus is better than a high-paying job. So then, you are free to enjoy what you have and you can be content not looking for the next thing because you don't need those things to give you what only God can a permanent substantive sense of belonging and inheritance now this is living hope and then he says it is guard, he guards us The text tells us that we're being guarded through faith. We get into hope by grace, his work, and we are kept in this hope, in this salvation, for a salvation, by grace. The same grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, who stands, it says, and intercedes for his people by pleading their case with his blood, saying, These... These people that I've got, you and me, the children of God, saying, you are welcome. You have a standing in this world based not on your resume, but on Jesus's resume for you. Our resume and our righteousness is pretty measly, if you ask me. What has Vince got? Vince, what does he have? Uh, Maybe he helped out once in the rescue mission. There was one day he actually did the dishes for his wife. Uh, without grumbling. Uh, One time he actually did a chore for his kids and helped them out. Whereas Jesus says that he like fed 5,000. He healed the lepers, beggars, and poor. He walked on water. Now, do I want my measly resume or do I want Jesus's resume? I think I'm going to take Jesus' resume. This ain't indeed.com where you're comparing two equal candidates. No, Jesus has got it, okay? You want to go for that. He is pleading the case before the Father that these are mine. And he prays for them, it says. And So what does this mean? It says that he guards us. What we believe about our future will determine how we live in the present. If we believe the outcome is in doubt, then we will live trying to secure salvation for ourselves. We will do things the way the world does. But if through faith we believe it is secure and we're being kept by God's grace, then we're free to live for others. This is living hope. Believing God gets us in. And it is by Him that we are kept in. Their faith at this time and our faith will always put us in jeopardy with the world. But that same faith is also the vehicle that brings us to Christ and keeps the engine running. It is faith that makes us stronger or makes us stranger in aliens. But it is also faith that makes us rejoice, knowing that Jesus will vindicate us when he comes back. Peter's expanding the vision of his readers to let them know that the verdict and ending is secure. He is saying, this is your salvation when he shows up you will get the backup you need. Not just the backup you need. You will get the victory that is deserved to you by Jesus Jesus Christ. It started in the first coming of Christ and he will bring it to completion in his second coming. This salvation is the same way you would understand being rescued by a military force. Peter is saying you're under threat. Politically, Personally, physically, spiritually. But salvation is fully coming. He comes at the revelation when he appears. In Jesus' return, you will be delivered. Delivered from the the evil, underhanded ways of uh, tyranny of sin. Sin that resides in you and the sin and temptation that resides outside of you. Both will be overcome. All hostility to God will be put in the grave. Sin and death will die. Because you know the outcome is certain, you can live differently than in the present, can't you? You can live differently. You don't have to live the insecure, vulnerable life because it isn't predicated on your, on your performance, is it? That means you can actually be gracious and kind to other people. Let me put it this way. Uh, Yesterday, I took two little kids to the incline. If you have not seen what the incline is, it is that marvelous looking uh, trail that is etched straight up in the side of the mountain over there. And I decided it was a good idea to take two of my kids, one of whom is a nine-year-old and is the most petite little thing you have ever seen in the world, to climb the incline. You're probably questioning my sanity. At times I thought maybe I needed to question mine. But I subjected my kids to one mile of pain. And the Christian life is very similar. We start at the beginning and we Instagram it. And then we suffer our way to the joy at the top. The sure hope that, has kept them, that kept them chugging, though, was the promise that Daddy tells them that there's a reward at the end. What did this mean? I told my kids, kids, you get to the top, and we're going to get ice cream. As much as you want, whatever you want. And if you have ever seen kids suffer well, those kids suffered well for the joy of Josh and John's ice cream set before them. And so they climbed the incline, and they literally rested a total of two minutes. Okay, And they went up. Why? Because they knew their daddy was going to get them ice cream. They didn't give up in a nihilistic fit, believing that it was all meaningless, but they endured to the end with eyes of faith, believing and knowing that their dad was going to come through. And so the Christian life is lived in the struggles of suffering. And do you know what? The joy at the end tastes better because we have gone through the suffering because of our faith. And we know that it is there for us because he, uh, Jesus Christ, set his face. And for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. And so what does this mean? The Holy Spirit will, con- will secure you to the end because Jesus went all the way and purchased the salvation and inheritance for you. You'll be scorned because of your faith. You'll be misunderstood. You'll even be hated for your faith. But you continue by faith to display God's gentle love and care. Refusing to live by the sword. Continuing to live by the beat of a different drum. Because you know how this ends and it will be sweet. Because you know what is coming. You can love your neighbor, you can love God, you can be patient, you can put up with the ignorance, you can have hope, and you can believe that this is meaningful, even the suffering. And this hope is lived out in millions of little ways. It is caring for your coworkers, sharing your faith at the gym, discipling your kids, helping your neighbor physically. And through all this, you rejoice, though you have not received it yet. Genuine faith is always a tested faith. The ice cream tasted better yesterday because of the difficulty that it had to go through to get it. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The security of that salvation allows us to see opposition to our faith as a means to test, purify, strengthen, and make it more beautiful than it ever was before. It enables us to see injustice and then seek to rectify it. It enables God's people not to retreat from the world but to engage it. It enables God's people to be the people of hope even though everything seems to be hopeless because we have a living hope. Patricia Polacco tells the story of Wallace Hartley. Wallace Hartley was the head musician on the Titanic, the unsinkable ship. So unsinkable, they didn't bother having enough lifeboats for all the passengers. Which, on April 15th, 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg in the Atlantic. Many were shouting, and panic ensued. It was complete chaos. They were getting the kids and trying to get kids and women into the boat. But in the chaos and panic, many were being neglected. So Wallace, facing the chaos and leading into his hope in Christ, faces the abyss and does what? He gets his band members together and they start to play hymns to calm down the crowd. What in the world can possibly secure you in the face of death to live so serenely happy that you care for others by giving your gift of music so that it will calm people down? It can only because he believed that his inheritance was sure in Christ. And so they played hymns knowing that they were going to die and drown. Because they knew their true outcome was not on a sinking ship, but was on a renewed earth, they could face death to help others. While the ship was sinking, the last song that was heard from the Titanic was Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer, to thee. Even though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my songs shall be Nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee. There in my Father's home, safe at rest. There in my Savior's love, perfectly blessed. Age to age, age after age to be. Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer, my God, to thee, nearer, my God, to thee. The Titanic hoped in the strength of its might and performance. Wallace hoped in the Almighty, enabling strength under pressure. When you have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus, you can face what seems like the abyss. Because Jesus Christ went into it for real, the abyss, abyss of death and, and, and shame. It was raised on the third day into new resurrected life. And you enjoy that with him. By faith. Let us pray. Almighty, good, glorious, and gracious God. In the resurrection we have been born again into a living hope by your work, your performance, and not our own. And we are held together secure in Christ by faith. And you guard our faith and you care for us. Lord. Let us lean into that this week. Help us to face the abysses that we see, the difficulties, the scorn, the shame, knowing that you, Jesus Christ, has faced the ultimate scorn and shame for us. Be with us now as we partake in your supper, as we are partakers with you in faith of the new life in Christ. Amen.